Um, I am so thankful to have a quality eldership team. I thought Eddie was going to be here today, but he's still in America. Um, so um, uh, Eddie Aretti, uh, most of you know Eddie Cook. Um, Eddie is an elder. He was here from day one. Uh, he was established as a, the original eldership, and Eddie took a break for a few years, but uh, he's agreed to come back on again. And uh, I, I think, um, I'm not going to lie, I think I've got one of the best eldership teams on the planet. That's just, I'm very thankful I really do. You know, so, um, you know, it's funny, um, I'm, I'm going to probably ditch a little bit of uh, change your world in one sense this morning because um, as my talk disappears, technology, oh, come on, maybe. I know what it was, because he was using my iPad, those things. Anyway, um, I, I, it's interesting when we talk about government today, but um, you know, it just seems a whole new things, and, and government and uh, institutions uh, are very important to uh, uh, life and the way that we do that. It was set up in the beginning uh, from the kingdom of heaven that, that there would be godly counsel and godly government. We see that through the Old Testament that God establishes um, a hierarchy of people who, who lead and guide communities and, and, uh, and churches and organizations. Uh, leadership isn't an easy thing to do sometimes because usually when you're the leader, you either get the blame of most things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite funny. It's, all, it's always John Ash's fault, even when it's not sometimes. Sometimes it is, all right? But sometimes it's not. And leadership's one of those things where sometimes you're in trouble whether you do or you don't. But when you step into leadership, you step into role. And we, this week, we've had a new prime minister, we've got a new king, and we've now got a new elder. And uh, it was just kind of very on my heart that we maybe would change that. And perhaps it uh, might be good. We've got quite a few new folks in church. And you know, I'm conscious that, that we teach this every few years, and then you come around and realize there's a whole bunch of new people. And um, I want to maybe just share a little bit about how the government in our church works so that you understand a little bit more about why we function the way we do. Um, have you got your Bibles with me? Um, uh, why don't you turn with me uh, to John 5, 2. I'm, I might just jump about a little bit. Um, and um, uh, what I want to say is this, that we are committed to the fivefold ministry. And some of you are going, what's that? Well, in Ephesians 4, which I will talk about in a second, um, there's gifts that, that Christ gives to the church. Now, don't confuse them with the gifts of the Spirit. And actually, there's a differentiation in them. And even though we've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts are there to build up you, if it's tongues, and also to build up the church. But the gift of Christ are the fivefold ministry. That's the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the pastors, and the evangelists. The problem with the modern church today is that for whatever reason, uh, we've become a threefold ministry rather than a fivefold ministry. We've become a nonprofit organization. <laughs> Boom. Anyway, um, and uh, oh, come on, you're so slow this morning. And, uh, and what's happened is this, is that the weirdo part of church, you know, that everybody thinks is just a little bit strange, tends to be forgotten about. I'm utterly convinced today that the Lord's reestablishing the fivefold ministry within the church. Um, and we haven't worked this out successfully, that's for sure. But the reason why we build the team that we do, we've got a very broad five-fold understanding of what that looks like. But actually, there's a heavenly order. 
And God sets a heavenly order in place, and he's done that from the creation of time. Uh, it's not to get, and, and in a modern world where we don't like order, and we don't like structures, and we rebel against it, and there's plenty of rebels in here, that's for sure. Uh, but what happens to that is we don't necessarily like that, because the truth is, we've generally been hurt or damaged by unhealthy authority and leadership. And what happens to that is, if you've been damaged with unhealthy authority and leadership, you will generally struggle with every authority and leader that comes after that because what we do is we tend to project our stuff onto those leaders. And it happens regularly in here when somebody wants me to be their daddy and I can be Ethan Nairn's daddy, not yours. Now I can help you spiritually and I can be a spiritual father, but I can't be daddy. And then they get upset because what they're doing is they're, they're projecting a bunch of things. And it's really important that you understand that in our church, when we select a leader, we're selecting leaders that don't, they're not rescuers. How many rescue people? Come on, where's all the rescuers? Oh, you know who you are. You know, where there's this need within you to save the planet, um, when actually what God, it's God's responsibility to do the salvation, it's our job to teach them Christ. And the Bible says to throw out seeds to sow. But whenever godly leadership gets established and it's correct and right and good authority, God's people flourish. When you're in a job that has a great boss and a good boss that knows how to lead, generally the company flourishes. If you're in a school and you've got a good headmaster, generally the school flourishes. If you've got someone who's insecure, uh, um, a little bit uh, broken inside, they generally will spill their stuff out over their people. And that, unfortunately, is an awful lot of our society where people want leadership and authority for all the wrong reasons. They want it for significance to make themselves feel good. Uh, because they think leadership gives you significance. Let me tell you something, when you've done it for 30 years, whew, you don't want to be a leader, all right? People say, I want to be a leader, and I say, why? Uh, and, and they go, well, you know, and then you realize that often you step into leadership because of significance. Can I say that what, I, what we look for here in leadership is the person that doesn't want significance? The people that tend to hide in the background doing an awful lot of work, as someone like Ian Watt has done for the last lot of years, um, outside of myself, maybe Ian's one of the other people who works tirelessly. He works a full-time job, has a young family, and yet has been in here, especially when this building was being built, into the wee hours of the morning with me trying to sort out cabling in this building. And uh, uh, that's what we look for, servitude. I think the Queen's a great example of that, of someone who dedicated their life to that. And when you dedicate your life to serving people, uh, the, the one thing I've learned, people bite. And uh, so pray for our leadership and our godly leadership. But I want to come back to that fivefold principle. I wonder if you've ever uh, read the story of the well of Bethesda. I've read it a thousand times. In fact, a few years ago, um, we, uh, uh, we were over at the well of Bethesda. I got a shock. You know when you think of a well in Ireland, you see this little circle with a hole? Uh-uh. Well of Bethesda is huge and it's empty. And I'm like, hold on a minute here. But, but you have this place right in the middle of Jerusalem where the well of Bethesda was a place that people uh, gathered. And what you find is in the well of Bethesda, it was the only thing outside of human involvement, i.e. Jesus or, or somebody else being involved. The well of Bethesda was the only place that miracles took place without the intervention of human hand, and I include Jesus in that. And what would happen is this, the Bible says that God would come along, stir the waters of the well of Bethesda, and the first person to jump in after God stirred the waters would get instantly healed. And you see this place being a significant uh, uh, place uh, through the Old Testament, which I don't have time to go to. But the Well of Bethesda was one of these places that was an ancient uh, Aramaic place. Um, but there was something that happened uh, which really struck me as I read this. It said this, there was a place in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, uh, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. 
or some translation call them porticles. And here are a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Um, And when the angel of the Lord came, it would stir the waters and the first one in would be healed. And I read that passage, and have you ever had the Bible, just a passage you've read a thousand times, and then something jumps out at you? Well, I was really struck that these five colonnades or these five porticles that covered the well of Bethesda actually might have had a bit more significance than that. Now, I'm not one that takes a bunch of numbers in the scriptures and add them all up. I'm not one of those mad prophets. I'm a bit mad, but not one of those ones, uh, where we take numbers and try to get a whole bunch of codes. If you're doing that, you need to go and have a long look at yourself, okay? Um, because, you know, historically, everybody has tried that. I've usually proved themselves wrong. Um, but uh, I, I did think that this was really important. And like a stag on a hillside, it just kind of suddenly jumped out. And uh, I've been thinking about this, and the, what the, the Holy Spirit had showed me was that, that the five covers of this, this supernatural well were the five, the five anointings of the gifts of Christ. And, and I began to do a little bit of research in this, and I discovered another passage uh, later on that, 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 that as the well of Bethesda was covered by, by these colonnades and created a supernatural place where angelic visitation took place at the hand of God, uh, you read later on, um, earlier on in, in uh, Exodus 30, whenever, whenever they made an oil, um, and I've used oil today, it's the same recipe that I'm about to read was in the oil that I use today. Um, why is that important? Well, uh, this is what it says, and the Lord said to Moses in um, Isaiah, uh, Exodus 30, 22 to 33, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much again, 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, shekels fragrant uh, calamus, uh, shekels of, of cassia, and according to the sanctuary shekel, a hen of olive oil. Um, I, I discovered what a hen was. It's, it's an awful lot, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and... and uh, uh, and, and, uh, 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 and make a sacred anointing oil. Blend them together and work as a perfumer so that the sacred oil, anointing oil. Anointing, oil uh, anointing Aaron and his sons to be consecrate them to serve me as priests. Uh, so this is, this is uh, the Israelites calling. And then it said this, to be a, sac- a sacred anointing oil for generations to come. Do not pour it on anyone else's body and do not make any other oil used with the same for- formula. It is sacred and you are to be considered sacred when you use it. Um, it's interesting to me that it took five, five spices or five ingredients that when the oil that, that poured over, over the, the king, high priest king's life were these five a five secret um, uh, recipe kind of thing that made it secret. And again, I was struck to think here was these five spices that represent the oil. And whenever um, the oil in the Old Testament, when the kings came along, we just anoint a little bit like that today. But whenever, whenever the high priests were anointed, they were actually stood on the ground. Ladders were brought beside them and a hen of oil is a really large bucket. And they would pour the oil literally to drowning over the top of the high priest. And the idea was that the oil would cover every ounce of his body. And that as this would go right down over his body, the oil would literally run down and drip off the fingers right down onto the tips of the toe. And it was this idea that you were covered completely by these five, five ingredients. And, uh, and, and that that was something in God's kingdom that became uh, very important in the Old Testament. Now we come to the New Testament in the age of the Spirit, and we see the Spirit of God 
comes along and releases the gifts on the day of Pentecost. And you'll know about spiritual gifts. There's, there's, well, the Bible names 21. I actually think there's a lot more. But there's 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, all of those are, are different types. But specifically in Corinthians, it names a group of, of, uh, of gifts. Those gifts are to edify and build up the church. They're actually to grow the church. Prophecy was never meant to be for the church. Prophecy was meant to be for the unbeliever. The only... The only gift that Christ gave us that was edification for, for, for people was the gift of tongues. Why? Because the Bible says it edifies us. Now, everybody gets their pants in a twist over tongues, okay? Um, it's a private prayer language that God gives you. Did you think you were going to speak English when you got to heaven? How many of you know that languages were actually to do with the Tower of Babel? Back in the day when it was cursed, they, the earth was separated, but actually there's a language in heaven that when we speak in a heavenly language, sometimes we sing in a heavenly, heavenly language that God gives that and it says that it edifies us. I, I would probably pray on average daily three, three hours in tongues every day. I'm not saying that to blow myself up, but I'm saying that to go that I know there's a secret ingredient that when I pray in tongues in the car, God seems to do something inside of my life. I don't necessarily understand what I'm saying, but it's also really important that you understand that that's a gift that builds up you. Now, there's a type of tongue that everybody gets their pants in a twist over. What happens is this, if I come up here and I give a public tongue, the Bible says that I'm no longer praying to God in tongues because that's who I'm praying to. I'm now giving you something that you don't understand. And the Bible says that requires an interpretation. So what happens if a public tongue is ever given here? We wait for, for the person to come up and share if they feel that that's, a, that that's what interpretation is or that the person given the tongue should receive the interpretation. And that happens here on a regular basis. But when you get a gift of tongues, um, and the Alpha course, if you want to find out more about that on our Alpha weekend, we'll, we'll talk to you more about that as we go along. Uh, the gift of tongues is, a, is an interesting one. Everybody gets themselves really tongue-tied over that. <laughs> but um, um, you really shouldn't, okay? But every other gift that's given in, in the New Testament is to edify the church. And then we have these offices. We have these things that Christ gives to the church in order for good government to take place. And it says that, that all of these five offices are put in place so that you equip the saints for acts of service. I want to talk just really quickly what that looks like because when you get these five gifts working, the Bible in Ephesians 4 said this, to, so Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all have reached unity in the faith. Say unity in the faith. Have we, have we reached unity in the faith yet? Beyond a new illusion, the gifts of the Spirit and the gifts of Christ are still fully active today. Until Christ comes back, perfection comes, and we're put right. Some theology would tell you that, that in cessationism, that when the Bible came, that the Bible was the thing then that replaced that. Uh, we wouldn't subscribe to that theology. If you want to talk to me about that, I'll talk to you about that. But, but the Bible says when perfection comes, when we meet face to face, it's really important you understand that they, these gifts are still active for today, and God wants you to have them. Which is why when we have biblical eldership, it says by the laying on of hands, you receive the gifts and that you can go forward to build a church. Can I tell you, you can evangelize, you can pray for people, you can do all you like, but there's something incredibly powerful when you prophesy to somebody and they become a believer on the back of God given revelation of who they are. And it is really important that we use the gifts when we're evangelizing. I use them regularly. Sometimes it gets me into trouble, sometimes it doesn't. Generally gets me into trouble, but that's kind of the nature of what it is. And yet, it's so that we would have the knowledge of the Son of God until we become what? Mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. 
the whole measure, the fullness of, 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 of what God is. And, and then he gives us this order in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Now, you are the body of Christ. To each one, you have given a part to it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. Then it gives this whole list of things that come under that. Um, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, kindness, speaking in tongues, are, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do we all work miracles? Do we all have gifts of healing? Do we all speak in tongues? Do we all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. It's interesting how the Bible says that. You see, I've discovered over the years, people come to me and say, can I have that? I said, well, yes, that's a good place to start, eagerly desiring it. Um, but there's something that happens in the order of heaven that until you get under the downflow of that order, you will not get the fullness of what you're looking for. You see, some people want prophecy for all the wrong reason. You know, I remember the first time getting prophecy and being able to prophesy to people was like, I got the power, you know? Or, or you used to pray for people and they would fall over and you're like, yes. And what was happening was I was getting built up, having my kicks out of the ministry. And God, very gradually, over a period of time, as God does, corrects me of some of that and hits me a good slap around the back of the lugs. And if it's not him, it's usually in the form of Julia Muir. Um, and, and now it's my staff and my wife and other people like that. Um, 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 but what happens, what happens is this. Whenever, whenever we move into this place, there's, there's this grace that comes off this gift that when it's done correctly and done right, the, the body of heaven flourishes. The, the, it comes right down into the body. It's like that oil going down. And when good government takes place, when the oil of that comes down into, into the, the body, you will flourish, I promise you. Now, I speak to people regularly that have come from uh, damaged uh, churches historically where bad leadership or, or, or people have damaged you. And often... Uh, then they think that that's what's going to happen here. And I'm not going to promise that we aren't going to say things that might offend you. But can I say this? If you're offended, it's your offense. And the problem with offense is it's yours, not mine. And too many people who take offense often never come and talk and sort it out. And they leave through the back door and they go and talk to everybody else except the people that they have offense with. Can I really encourage you, if you've got a problem with any leader in this church, you can come and speak to any of the elders at any point in any time, even if that's about me. Because good godly government means that, you know, someone said to me, do you not put yes men around you? And I said, well, yes, they have to say yes to God, but I can assure you, <laughs> I can assure you that often it's not a yes for me, it's a no. And actually, the way we work in biblical government here is we, we are, we are dem a democracy without being a democracy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, all our elders can come to the table with anything. If they feel that the Lord's spoken to them about something, they can place it on the table and they, they, they will have a discussion about that. And what happens is we go around the room and everybody has a voice into that decision. Why? Because that's what good elders do. I'm not the only one that hears from heaven. I got to trust that all our other elders hear from heaven, especially when it's concerning me, because that's what they have to do, and often that's a job for them. Uh, however, what happens is that is whenever that's having a discussion, then at the end of that, we will take a vote. And if any elder says, no, I don't feel that that's right, and sometimes I might leave it for a month or two, but if then any elder says, no, that's not correct, regardless of what anybody else thinks, it doesn't happen. It gets stalled. So we have to be in agreement, though we don't have to be in agreement. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a place in good government where we don't have to agree in order to move forward. 
What I love about this team is this, we can have a good old robust conversation about government and things that go on and we walk out the door, we still are in a relationship and we don't set the things that we disagree with as connective and covenant relationship. I would say we're all friends for the most part. Well, I'm their friends, whether they're my friend or not, I don't know. <laughs> Why am I telling you this? Well, because it's important as the body of people that you understand how, how the government of heaven works. I've seen some incredibly bad examples, even of late, but I can tell you when you get good government, it, a, a church will always thrive and establish. Now, there's another side of this. Are we perfect? No. Do I make mistakes? Do we make mistakes? Yes, all the time. But God's people has to have the grace to go, hey, you know what? Until Jesus comes back and establishes a government that he will, a righteous government, we're flawed human beings that make mistakes. But we do honorably within our heart on the greatest knowledge that we know how to honor God and listen to his leading and his voice, which is why it's really important that you understand how the apostolic and the prophetic works. You see, in the fivefold ministry, some people don't really understand how the apostle works. Um, are we apostles modern-day apostles like Paul and, and, and Peter and those guys, well, they were Jesus' apostles. And that word apostle sometimes gets a little bit bambied around for all the wrong reason. What I'm talking about is apostleship or the fivefold ministry. Well, what is that? Well, the apostle hears a blueprint from heaven. Well, what does that look like? Well, what happens is he gets this information that comes to him by revelation from God. Do you remember when Peter came along and, and, and Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, well, you only got that from heaven. There's something that happens in an apostle where they receive information from heaven that becomes a burden. It's a bit like if you can imagine a plan, we've got a couple of architects in today, but Aswan's here, he's an architect. It's like all of a sudden you get this blueprint or a plan from heaven about how to do something. And the, the apostle's job is to deliver the blueprint to a team. And, and they get excited about that. Why? Well, because they're consistently hearing downloads from heaven. And they generally are crazy people that have got this vision in the sky of these great things that God's asked them to do. The problem is too many apostles try to do it themselves and they can't because they're architects and not builders. Now, some apostles are, but for the most part. So when the apostolic releases and you get the government of heaven, it then requires a number two, a prophet. And a prophet comes alongside and he partners with this vision and he or she hears the voice of God to say, this is what I believe the Lord's saying. And the prophet will come along and go, Ashley, that girl there, she's called to do this in the house. Now, if you think of it as a blueprint or a, or a picture of, a, of, of that, let's say Ashley's the plumber, okay? We need to pray for her, all right? Okay? Um, especially your own plumbing coming soon, you know, a few more weeks. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Ashley's considerably pregnant, all right? Um, and, uh, and, um, but, but let's just say that her job is to install all of that in the house. Well, what happens is this. The apostle sees the plan. The prophet comes in and goes, I believe Ashley's called to be the plumber. Or within a church context, that's what it is. And that alignment in the apostolic and the prophetic then, then lines up and they bring the spiritual dynamic of heaven. And when that's flowing correctly, you will always see the fruit, which is the supernatural power and ministry of God. Now, there's three other people to keep the prophets and the apostles correct. You see, here's the problem with prophets. We, we sometimes are so busy hearing from heaven, or the apostles so busy hearing from heaven, we forget that we need to keep going back to the scriptures. And sometimes what happens is we add, hand off down a chart where it's all about the prophetic, and we need the teachers who go, hey, you boys, 
come on back here. You're way off the station and I need to rebalance you because this is what the scripture says. So we need teachers to correct that. And then of course we've got the pastors and this church is full of pastors. You all care too much. I'll be here for you morning, noon and night. Call me anytime. I'll take care of you. Now there's two types of pastors, them that are real pastors and them that are rescuers. Okay, work out which one you are, okay? Because if you're rescuing somebody else, I guarantee you the real person you're trying to rescue is yourself. But we'll leave that for another time. And the pastors are there to care for the flock. You see, sometimes the apostles are so busy worrying about heaven that they can forget about their flock. So apostles and prophets need to be reminded that their job is to take care of the church. And they'll go, no, our job's to hear from heaven, not take care of the church. That's the pastor's job. And, and then the evangelist comes along. And usually evangelists are absolute tonto lone rangers. All right? Generally speaking. Because they are so fed up with the people in the church who are lazy in their opinion. And you're all sitting in here in your fat backsides when there's a world going to hell out there. And you don't care. All you're doing is sitting in there singing Kumbaya every Sunday. And evangelists tend to get very frustrated. And what evangelists do, they start their own churches with all the people that they lead to Jesus. And then they blow it up a year later. That's kind of how it works. And here's the truth. It was never designed to be individual. It was designed to be pulled together and it was given an order. And when you get that order correct, there's a real secret recipe in making that work right that the kingdom of heaven gets poured out. Can I say, one of the reasons why I'm connected to Bethel is because I've never seen an example so well done over there. They're not perfect. They don't get right. There's some theology I wouldn't always uh, agree with, but that doesn't matter because what I see is a bunch of people who are Jesus lovers who are going after the fivefold. And, and the, the fivefold was taught in my previous church, and God really spoke to me about going after that. You see, as I said to you, we're, we're generally a threefold ministry church because what do we do? Most churches will employ a teacher because we value, and especially in Northern Ireland, we value our teachers. God bless our teachers. Married to one. Pray for the teachers. They're all back to school this week. They're all tired and grumpy and pray for the husbands specifically. All right? I'm joking. Nope, they're all great. They're loving life. They're excited to be back. No problems at all and happening. And uh, can I tell you something? For anybody who thinks that teachers get a two-month holiday, you are correct in one way, but I can tell you that's not the reality or the truth of it. Uh, my wife has worked incredibly hard over this summer in order to get ready to go back into school. So please don't, don't be any under any illusion that that's the nature of the game. But see, what, why are the teachers important? Well, in our country, we're used to, to celebrating the teachers. Great sermon today. You exegeted that passage so well. Well done, sir. And then they wonder why their church is dry and drying up and boring. You see, we need the teachers, but we also need the prophetic and the apostolic and if they're not coming in together to lead and teach the church in that order, first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, and there's a biblical order, the church will actually suffer greatly for the anointing and the plan of heaven. And it's important that you understand in this church, we are aiming full torque to make sure that the apostolic and the prophetic is, and the teaching is done in that order. And I think for the most part, we generally do that really well. I'm not saying we've got it perfect yet, but we do that particularly well. Why is that important that you understand that? Well, because apostolic leadership, prophetic leadership and teaching has to work so well together. The pastors and the evangelists need to come into the church. You see, the apostles and the prophets and the teachers don't fully understand the evangelists. Now, you've got to hear something. At my heart, I have the heart of an evangelist. 
And God over the years has, has weaved me from that out of it. And yet in the heart of all of this comes an absolute desire to reach the lost who need Jesus. And as I preached a few months ago, if you were here and certainly over the conference, if you don't understand that the mission of God is to see souls saved and for you to be committed to sharing your faith, you will miss out something in the order of heaven. You need to understand that we have an Alpha course. Can I tell you something? That Alpha course should have 100 people on it. There's 350 people coming regularly to our church at the moment, including kids. We've 12 people signed up for Alpha course, most of whom are, are Christians. And what I don't understand is of all the teaching and all the apostolic and all the prophetic, that we are not inviting the lost into our church to hear a course like Alpha where they get to know Jesus, we're doing something wrong. And I want to challenge you today. We have an Alpha course tomorrow night, starting at the dinner. Alpha has led 50 million people to Jesus worldwide. What you'll not understand is the Toronto blessing that took place through 94 through to 97, really, out of that came the Alpha course. The Alpha course was birthed out of that season. And what it was was to make accessibility to the things of the Spirit and bring healthy teaching to a body that didn't understand how that worked. And when you're here, and I've yet, in 30 years of doing the Alpha course, I've yet to fail to see the Holy Spirit show up on an Alpha weekend and people's lives be radically transformed, changed, healed, restored, and delivered. And the Alpha course does that. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today. If you're not praying for the lost and you don't have somebody who's lost and you don't have somebody that you can literally bring here to an Alpha course, and you can bring them along, don't leave them alone, don't leave them us, that's crazy. You see, you see here's the problem, this is what, what you do. I know, I'll bring that lost soul and I'll leave him for John and the team from Alpha to take care of and I'll step out. Nope, it's not how it works. You see, if you bring somebody, you're their rabbi. You, you, you're, you're their teacher. You're their apostle. You're the person that needs to stay in their lives. I made a commitment to God many years ago that if I led someone to Jesus, they had me for two years. That, that I would commit to that person to helping them for two years. And, and anybody I've led to Jesus, you'll find the testimony that if they're not around, they generally get a phone call from me. Uh, and I have many people around here that that's the case for. But if you're not understanding that, then actually you're not a follower of Jesus. And let me say that again. If you're not doing that, you're not a follower of Jesus. Why? Because the Great Commission says that's what you're supposed to be doing. And we don't understand the order of heaven. You see, what does everybody want? Well, I want to be a prophet. Let me prophesy. And it's great to desire that. But where are the people going? Where's the evangelist? I want to be an evangelist. Let me go share my faith. Now, what's interesting is the evangelists tend to be the ones that, that are just, they're consistently at it. Going to see the lost saved. We want to go into the town. We'll do all that. That's great. But I want to encourage you. If you haven't got the heart of an evangelist inside of you, I'm going to pray today that you get one. Because God needs to impart that to you. Why? Because there is a world that's lost and going to hell. And be under, be under no illusion, be under no illusion, there is a hell and a lost eternity for those that do not come to Christ. And we at the church have got scared of using the scripture when it comes to preaching on, on the doctrine of hell. We've tried to, we try to turn it down, take it away, because, because we're afraid to tell people they're off to hell. There is a reality today of a heaven to begin and a hell to be sacrificed to. And here's the truth, and I'll tell you this story as I finish up. A young man came to me and he said, John, I could never believe in a God who sends people to hell. He says, what do you mean? He says, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. I says, I don't know what God you're talking about because that's not my God. He says, no, no, you're, you're wrong. 
your God sends people to hell. I said, no, no, my God doesn't. My God went out of the way to avoid people going to hell. In fact, it cost them everything to stop you from going to hell. I don't know which God you're talking about. He says, but John, I thought you believed that your God sent people to hell. I says, no, 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 you've got this wrong. Can I tell you what my God did? My God sent his son, his only son, to die on a cross, to be beaten and bruised so that you wouldn't have to go to hell. Oh, I've never thought of it like that before. My God sent his son in order that you wouldn't go to hell. If you end up there, it's because you either didn't listen to God's instruction or you've never actually encountered Christ for the first time. And the only way that you can get to heaven is by repenting, believing the good news and accepting that Jesus died on the cross for you. That's what my God did. I says, do you want to know him? He says, no. See, here's the problem. Some of you out there have dabbled with Christianity for too long. And you've come in here and you feel the presence. And we love that. Presence of Jesus was powerful today. And it was, it really was. And we come in and we get addicted to the presence and we want. Can I tell you, the biggest growth is whenever there's no presence. The biggest growth is whenever you can't feel the presence of God. And I can tell you, every leader in scripture went through a season where God nearly, nearly withdrew. Why? In order to teach you something. Jesus was the model. He went in the desert for 40 days, fasted, tempted by Satan, then went on his cross and said, God, why have you left me? Now, God never left him. But he had to, in his humanity, leave him. Why? So that, so that we could find a way. And if you don't know Jesus today, or you've never met him, or you don't understand that he sacrificed everything so that you didn't have to go to hell, you, 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 you will be lost to an eternity without Christ. Now, I don't think hell has got a little devil with a pitchfork running around poking you in the backside. I don't think that's the way this works. The way I like to say it is that I know the fullness of the, of the joys of heaven. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. All these things, there is no law. But what can hell look like? Well, imagine a world with none of that in it. That all you know is darkness, brokenness, loss, and sadness. And Jesus said, for those that know him and love him, he'll come back in a day, he'll wipe away every tear, and he'll move us into glory. But we don't have to wait for Jesus' return in order to understand the fullness of the cross. Can I, can I say something? If you're waiting for Jesus' return for you to find the fullness of Christ, you're biblically wrong. Too many people are waiting. I know I'll go on into glory and I'll get to heaven. It'll all be okay. You've got a bad theology if you think that. The day that you get saved is the day that you get all right. Now, is there, self, is there salvation to be worked out? Yes. Is there things in our life that we struggle with? In our church, we help you deal with those first. Then you can become a disciple of Christ. But if you don't know Jesus today and you're hanging around waiting and putting it off, I want to encourage you today, get to know him. He is an incredible inspiration in your life. I do not know how I could live the way that I've lived without Christ in my life. And the reason why we have biblical government and biblical leadership isn't to give you a good experience of God. It is to teach you 
for acts of service to go and fulfill the Great Commission. And if you're not doing that, you're a lazy Christian who probably isn't a follower of Christ. I am dead serious when I say that. I am done with lazy Christians. I don't even want to work with them anymore. Give me fire, passionate, enthusiastic Christians who love the Lord and are prepared to take up their cross and go with them every day of the week. You know why? I'll change the world with 10 of those than I will with 700 of, of, of Christians who have lost their saltiness. And pastors, pastors go around with their big piles of salt. Look at the size of my big pile of salt. Look, John, they're huge. I've got hundreds. I'd rather have 10 grains of salty salt than a big pile of saltless salt that's useless for nothing but the dung heap. In fact, you know what the Bible says? It's not even good enough for the dung heap because the bad salt would ruin the dung heap. It would be useless for even manure. That's the words of Jesus. And unfortunately, the church has lost its true calling. And until we come back to the apostolic covenant and understand the Great Commission is for us to go to the ends of the world and preach the gospel. The prophets of old, the, the apostolic of old understood something about this. You know, if you go to Skellig Michael today, if you go to Skellig Michael today, right off the west coast of Ireland, there was a first prayer house there for thousands of years. Luke Skywalker, if you watch the movie, was there. But up in there, you know what? That they, they went to the ends of the earth to fill the Great Commission. That was the ends of the earth back in that day. And they stood there to pray the, the, the Lord's return. And then they realized there was a whole new land. And that's the nature of God. You see, if we think our prayer life will make Jesus return, you've got a bad theology. Jesus is gonna, gonna come back in a day that we don't even know other than God. So stop getting your necks into that stuff and start understanding our calling. Who are you inviting to Alpha tomorrow night? Who are you going to disciple this year? Which lost persons in your life that you need to be praying for and talking to and helping become a Christian? Let's stand. Uh, listen, our service is over today. If you've got kids, you need to go and get them. But what I want to do is I'm going to invite our, 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 our team out here just to pray. Uh, I realize that Ian's family's here and um, if you're not used to this, I'm really sorry. But um, uh, we, we've got a prayer team here and we want to pray for you. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to the Lord and somewhere along the way you've had a bit of religion, probably just enough to inoculate from the truth. But if you come in and you get a little bit, but you want to know the real truth of Jesus, you want to be filled with spirit and you understand that, I would, these guys will pray for you. They'll lead you. They'll help you discover that. They'll help you discover Christ. And if you want to do that this morning, we could do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the gift of, um, of leadership, eldership, and good governance. And today, Father, would you come and give us the grace to lead well. But Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, anyone, Lord, here today who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, would you right now convict their heart, Lord, that they would have an eternal salvation, Lord, that even the angels would celebrate today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to finish up our last worship song. Please come for prayer. Other than that, you have a really good Sunday. Uh, we'll see you all again next week. Thanks so much for coming.